From Austin Stone Worship, this is Stories from the Austin Stone. This season on the podcast, we're sharing the stories of seven men and women and their journeys of recovery from the fallout of suffering, abuse, and sin. In this episode of Recovery, we bring you Laura's story. Please note, this story is for mature audiences as it references pornography and sexual assault. So my name's Laura. I feel like I wasn't always being true to who I was and that I was acting differently in different situations and feel like I was the same way with God, like putting one foot towards him and then acting in ways that I wouldn't want him to know about. And I kind of operated as if I could hide from him and as if I could lie to him. And that's kind of how I interacted with the people in my life as well. Had a pattern of lying and hiding from people from a really young age, like way too young to really know up from down. I was exposed to pornography, which led to like a years long battle of addiction and struggle with just lust and sexual immorality. It was something that I felt really in bondage to. And so through high school and college, I didn't know what to do with that struggle and that sin pattern that I was in because I didn't know anyone else, any other woman who struggled with that. And it just seemed like something that I needed to keep to myself and I needed to lie about to others and something that I certainly could not engage the Lord on. And so I just felt like I was one person to the outside world and then a totally different person inside my own room and a feeling in a place of just confusion and bondage and slavery to something that I feel like I never really signed up for. But it became this like decades long battle to figure out what what to do with it and how to engage the Lord in asking for help. But it was just a very shame inducing time. And so that led me to kind of stay in the dark with all of it. When I was young and first struggling with this, I felt just that God was far from me and disapproving and that he was this big, scary authority figure who demanded perfection and holiness. And I certainly was not a picture of that. And so it felt like I needed to hide. And I did feel like he was this parental figure who would not approve of me and therefore not love me or not extend his gifts to me. I felt like there was no way out of this struggle. It just felt like this is always going to be something I deal with and no one's ever going to know and no one's ever going to be able to help me because I'm not ever going to tell anyone. And I was believing that I was like the exception to God's grace. And I was like, well, the Lord came to save those who believe in him. And I think I believe in him, but I I don't think I'm on that saved list.
So when I was about 28 years old and living outside of Austin for a few years, I was living in quite a bit of isolation and not making the best choices because of my own sinful heart, for sure. But I think I was lacking biblical accountability to some degree. And one night I was at a birthday party with friends, a big group of friends, and I had had quite a bit to drink ended up meeting a man at the party. Later that night after the party, I ended up inviting him home with me. And that night I lost my virginity to this person who was basically a stranger. The hardest part about losing my virginity when I was not intending to was just that I had grown up in this 90s purity culture youth group movement where the, th the highest prize for a Christian was to not have sex before you were married. And so I didn't. And as much sexual immorality that I engaged in before, I had never had sex. It was something that I had maintained and that was really important to me and something that God wants for us. The fact that it was taken from me when I wasn't even aware and didn't desire that was really, really sad. And I think what was really confusing about it was I didn't know how to think about what had happened. I didn't know if it was my fault, if I had asked for this. I didn't know if I had led this man to think that this was a good idea. I think what was so confusing in the weeks that followed trying to parse out what am I responsible for here? I felt like I was responsible for all of it, and I felt like it was my fault. And what I came to realize and what the Lord helped me discern is that I for sure am responsible for the sin of drunkenness, but the things that followed were non-consensual. And what that means is that Anyone who's under the influence of alcohol doesn't have the ability to make decisions for themselves. And so what I came to realize after weeks and months and even years of processing through this is that what happened to me was sexual assault. Someone who is intoxicated by definition cannot give consent. And so I walked for far too long thinking I had sinned sexually or that I had committed this egregious act and I'm still grieved to have experienced that because that's just not <laughs> not the way it should go. And it's just evidence of the brokenness of the world. It's just not what I wanted my story to be. I can sit here now and say like, this is my story and this is what God has given me and I want to use it for his glory. But there were months where I was kind of in denial and was mad and angry and hurt. Just coming to grips with that was really tough. After this, I moved in with some friends in the city I was living in. And after another year or so, I moved back to Austin. And once I was back in Austin, I was so happy to be back here. I was so thankful and I just felt like I was on cloud nine being back in Austin and among community. And I kind of thought that everything, everything seemed so great and seemed resolved. So I thought I was great. 
And after my first year back in Austin, everything came crashing down and the trauma and the horrible experiences that I had gone through were still hanging around. I thought, I really need to deal with this. In the summer of 2018, a friend of mine had started attending Open Share at Recovery at Austin Stone, and she invited me to go with her. And so I went one night. I remember feeling really nervous and being thankful that I was there with a friend who had been going. It's such a welcoming ministry. And what I love is that you walk in and there's just so many different types of people. And Brad, who leads the ministry, is so good at leveling the playing field. And one of the things he says at the beginning of every week is that when you're here, it's okay to not be okay. It's just such a universal like feeling of like, I'm not okay, which is why I'm here. But that's how everybody feels. One thing I love about recovery and something that I noticed right away when I started going was people's openness and willingness to share their story, no matter what it is. There are 12 steps to gospel recovery. The first step is that I admit that my life has become unmanageable and that I'm powerless over my sin. And that so appropriately described how I felt that I was like, yes, if this is the starting point, this is absolutely where I need to start. My life is unmanageable and I do feel powerless over my sin. And then from there, we might be powerless over our sin, but but that's why we need God. And one of the harder parts of recovery for me was when you get to step four. Step four is that we made a searching and fearless inventory of ourselves. And for me was one of the more overwhelming steps because you take an inventory of the people that you have sinned against and the people that have sinned against you. So it was really, really hard, but it was also so enlightening of, you know, what are my habits and what are my patterns and what actually am I trying to work through in this process? And then step five is almost just as hard, and it's that you'll confess to God and to another person what it is that you wrote in your inventory. But that, for me, was really where I started to feel the freedom and what repentance really looks like. The turning point at recovery where I really started to feel like change was happening and like I was experiencing freedom, I think we're in the later part of the step study, walking through step six and seven, which are kind of utilized in tandem with one another. Step six says that I'm entirely ready to have God remove all my defects of character. And step seven says, I humbly ask God to remove all my shortcomings. And these two are utilized together because it displays a willingness and a submission. And I think I had been walking in disobedience for so long that I didn't know what true joy was. And the other thing that I learned that was so freeing was just that Jesus is better. Like he's better than any worldly pleasure that I seek. I think that's when I started to feel the freedom that Christ purchased for me instead of feeling like I was adhering to some set of rules that wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And I think that for most of my life, I had tried to 
muscle my own way out of sin and darkness. And I had taken this sort of like behavior modification approach. And I would have like these long streaks of not looking at pornography or these long seasons of willing myself to not fall back into sin. And through steps and through admitting that I am powerless and that God is the only one that changes hearts, I remember someone saying that like recovery does not change lives and recovery does not save people. But Jesus uses recovery to do those things, and it's a resource and it's a tool. The goal is not to just complete the recovery 12-week study, but it's to know and love Jesus more and for him to change your heart along the way. I knew that like my story wasn't going to be undone, but I can stand here and say that I'm now have accepted that it's part of my story. And I think that's just a testament to the Holy Spirit working through recovery and working in me. I need to walk in the fact that I am chosen by him. He's chosen me as his child, which means I have value. And it means that I am desired and that I am loved. And it means that I don't have to hide from him and I can't hide from him anyway, but it means that I can be who I am. And it means that he loves me unconditionally. And when I find myself in sin, he wants to meet me there. What God has for me is freedom. And what is the point of not walking in that freedom? It's already been paid for. I don't need to pay for it again. And that's that's the gospel is that I don't have to suffer and pay for my sin in the way that God calls for through his just nature. Jesus already did that. The Lord came to set us free and literally shed his blood for these very sins that I'm talking about. And so why am I also trying to pay for them? that's available for people who trust Jesus. Like that's what he came for. And so we should walk in it. The very thing that the enemy wants us to get trapped in is thinking that there's no way out and is thinking that no one's going to understand my sin or people are going to be disgusted by me or not want to walk through this with me. And it's a trap that so many of us fall into. I'm just here to tell you that you don't have to stay there and that there's freedom for you and you're not alone and you're not the only one that's ever experienced this. Pornography is not just a struggle for men. It is also a struggle for a lot of women. But my encouragement would be just to tell someone, like literally find someone that you trust and tell them and I would not be surprised if they said they struggle with the same thing. And that's what happened the first time that I confessed this to someone that I trusted in my church community was she was like, yes, I've struggled with that too. Something that I heard at church recently was that sin will not cease to be habitual until it ceases to be in darkness. And that's so true. Jesus came to be the light. And so walk in the light. That's honestly the first step to walking in freedom and getting out from under the burden of shame.
I pray that through my story, God will encourage other people who might be struggling with the same thing or might be struggling with something different. I pray that this would serve as an encouragement to people to seek out Jesus and seek out obedience and the Holy Spirit and that you would experience the freedom of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And there's a place for you at recovery. What recovery is to me is freedom. And I just so badly want that for others. My name is Laura. And for me, recovery in Christ means healing from past trauma, recovering my identity as a child of God, and experiencing the freedom that Christ died for me to have. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories from the Austin Stone. For more information about recovery, counseling, and other resources, please visit austinstone.org soul-care. And to hear more stories like this one, go to austinstone.org stories. Please help us spread the word about this podcast by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and by sharing this episode with your family and friends. Join us next week as we bring you another story of recovery. It's not my job to get the victory. It's my job to keep showing up and saying, like, yes, Lord, like, I will try to turn this over again to you, even though I did yesterday or even though I did this morning. Like, here I am again before you broke in.